Who could tell, she asked. Because if you do, then I can wait for you. I can't ask you to wait, Rhythm. You must find yourself another woman to attain the state of love, she said. In fragrance, we attain the state of love only once. And only with one person. I can't quite believe that, said Barbara with an awkward smile. But Rhythm assured her it was true. Barbara, I can wait for you if you tell me that you will come back, but you must tell me now. Yes or no, and your answer must be final. Welcome to Time Streams. I'm Nathan. And I'm Juliet. And in this episode, we talk about the first of our lost stories with the fragile yellow arc of fragrance. Ooh. Yeah, and I know it's different from what I said in the last one. In the last one, I said we were going to do Farewell Great Macedon, but we actually had a little bit of a hiatus in recording that you're probably not going to notice because the episodes have been coming out at about the same rate. But I wanted to sort of ease us back in. This was like a little one episode thing. So I was like, let's do this first before we tackle the six-parter. So... <laughs> I mean, I'm not complaining over here. Right. <laughs> so what's been going on for you, Julia? Oh my gosh, work has been insane. Life has been crazy. I ran my first half marathon. Mm. Yeah, I am so incredibly stressed out and busy. <laughs> that is for every cool thing that you're posting on uh, the 42 cast, you're, for our listeners, the other awesome podcast that Nathan hosts. And he's got some great topics out there that he wants people to come and talk on. And I keep wanting to say yes. And I'm like, no, no, you're too busy. Stop it. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier, though, when you don't have to, like, like if it's a topic you can just talk about without having to, like, you know, read or watch anything or whatever, it's just like, I hey, can take a, you know, couple hours. You would think that, but those couple hours, man, I we've started going back into the office a few days a week, and for an introvert who now has zero privacy in her cubicle, it's pretty fun. Uh, I'm, I'm very much aware of the fact that everybody can see me at all moments. Mm. So uh, I come home and I basically collapse on the couch exhausted. <laughs> oh. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my teammates. They are fantastic. And they're really good at whenever I'm too stressed out and start crying in my cubicle, they just ignore my sniffling. But I have to be careful about everybody else that might walk past. Mm. But so I, I'm just really tired. And again, those couple of hours are hard to find these days. So when was this you did the half marathon? I did my first half marathon on March 28th. It was actually, oh. and I remember this clearly because it was two days before the one year anniversary of the day I took up running. Mm. I was so proud of myself. I spent, what was it, two and a half hours running in tiny little laps around my downstairs. <laughs> and by like the last, I had, what was it? Like I had a mile to go and I'm on my phone texting my friends going, oh my God, this effing mile just needs to get done 
and finally reached the end. I hit 13.1 miles and you could have heard my shout clear across the neighborhood. I was so stupidly proud of myself. So you ran it within your house? Yeah. And you didn't like wear a hole in the floor or anything? (laughs) For comparison, I do know that uh, a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, takes me approximately 240 laps around Mm. my downstairs. Now, imagine how many laps it is for 13.1 miles. Yeah, I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like running 13.1 miles like on your floor. Like, doesn't that damage your floor? I'm really hoping not. Uh, Let's hope my landlord doesn't know about this podcast. (laughs) But um, no, I mean, the cats, mostly it's just me having to be careful about the cats Mm. and darting in front of me or something. Because part of my pathway takes me right next to their food bowl. So I'm always looking out for cattails. But yeah, first half marathon. So when you work up to a full marathon, is that going to be indoors? Are you going to run outside? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping to do another half marathon uh, sometime in the fall or winter, which may be indoors due to weather. Mm -hmm. Because I still don't trust other people breathing heavily around me. But I'm also hoping to make the full marathon next year. So like for my two year running anniversary, maybe somehow pull off a five hours worth of running. God, that sounds insane. More power to you. (laughs) Sounds painful to me. It was. It was so painful. (laughs) Because even when I did run, which was years ago, I ran for time rather than distance. I did like 20 minutes of running, like as much as I could get into that 20 minutes and then it was done. Like the idea of running for hours, just like, no. (laughs) I mean, I kind of zenned out about it. I had a good playlist and I had backups of audiobooks and podcasts ready to go. I had the Zombies Run app with a, I extended the mission to like an hour and a half. So I had entertainment. It was just the knees, man. They tell you you're going to hit a runner's high and you don't, or at least I certainly never did. (laughs) I think starting uh, at about mile 10, And definitely by uh, mile 12, I existed in pain. Just it was Mm. a ball of pain from the waist down. I didn't own, I didn't have knees anymore. They were fiery balls of pain. There was no runner's high. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, I'm amazed. And, and, you know, I mean, that's awesome that you're able to, you know, that you've built yourself up to do this and you're working towards a full marathon. And I think that that's really, really cool. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I mean, I am. I'm just saying, like, it's just, like, so far, like, away from anything I would ever do. It's just kind of like, but it's still cool. Like, like, it's like whatever. And I know anyone who does, like, something that's, like, amazing. It's like, you make an amazing work of art, you know, somebody. And it's just like, that's awesome. I could never do anything like that. But, you know, it's better. I never thought that I would ever run Mm. the way I do it all. 5K, why would I do that? Who does that? What was the, what would be the point of that? I couldn't even fathom trying to run a half marathon or something and then suddenly it's like wow I did this why do I like running no I still don't like running I don't like waking up in the morning I don't like the constant pain why am I doing this and the only thing I can think of is that it's a personal challenge you know I'm just like I'm gonna do this because if I don't I I have failed and I'm a quitter and you know just that one little personal thing that I know I can do hmm I think it's the only reason I don't like it. Yeah, no, it was the same. I mean, for me, though, it was just about losing weight. I was doing weight training three days a week and I was running three days a week, you know, like different three days. And then there was one day off and it was just trying to get into better shape. 
I'm about to ask because I was like running by itself does not help me lose weight. I gained weight. Mm. We are also built very differently, though. <laughs> I'm just true. going to say is I have true. a lot to lose. <laughs> so let's just put it that way. Because I understand that, though. Obviously, when you build muscle, you actually gain weight. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I've got a good amount of fat to lose. So I mean, <laughs> and now I'm back there. I mean, actually, I'm worse than I was then. But now I have so many more things on my plate, you know, like that was when I was single. I didn't have a wife or a girlfriend or kids or anything. So, you know, there was, I mean, I had college, you know, and, and I did work while going to school. So there was stuff. Yeah, but that's not the same. Right, exactly. So it's like finding the time is part of the problem. So what's been up with you? What's new? Well, before we move on to me, I wanted to say that one of the things you didn't mention, though, was that you're editing now also. Oh, crap. I didn't know we were telling people that. I thought we just let them <laughs> figure out that, uh, no, Julia just went on, did not cut out any of her, like, 20-minute monologuing about French history. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. So see now, because I don't know what you cut out of the material. And so I didn't realize that you cut out like a huge portion. Of I that. didn't actually. I left oh. all of that in there. Okay. That's what I was about to say. That's I thought that it was, yeah, I thought that it sounded pretty much like I remembered it. I figured why not? Let's just throw out a bunch of French history on our podcast. That's what Doctor Who is supposed to be about, right? Education. That's right. We're educating people. It's exactly what we're doing. So yes, I am helping with editing, which may also explain why our release schedule's gotten slow or been a little slow. I am, I'm learning, guys. I'm really learning for this from scratch. Yeah, thanks for saying that. But honestly, it was already crap before you started. You're helping me out because I'm trying to do the 42 cast and this. And of course, the other bit of news is about Legendary Forces, which is a third broadcast, which is about Star Wars, which hopefully by the time this one releases, we'll at least have an episode out for that one. So. Which would be pretty cool because we're both on that one. So right. that's just craziness, too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so for me, I mean, other than those things, which I'm already juggling, I've introduced my younger daughter now to Fushigi Yugi. Woo! And uh, so we've been watching that together. And that's... I saw some comments about that and how right. Miyaka just needs to go ahead and punch Tamahome anyway. Yeah. So that's a lot of fun. I was kind of surprised when I looked for it because I was like, there's probably like a Blu-ray release of this now. And so I looked at Amazon. It's like, nope, still just DVD. And it does look kind of crappy on a high def TV. Like it looks a little fuzzy. But, you know, it's not that big of a deal and she's okay with it. So, you know, it's fine. But I would really like a high def nicer version of Fushigi Yugi because it is one of it is one of the great animes it really is so I guess just an also ran it is one of the the truly great ones I mean it's definitely at my top of top of my favorites mm. yeah Fushigi Yugi is probably number one on my list okay yeah no I mean yeah it, it deserves it I mean it's it's great and so yeah it's just with her it's always like if she she sees the boxes or she sees things and she's just like, no, and she just makes snap judgments. And I'm always like, give it a chance. Just just watch, you know, a couple episodes because I know she she's like the complete opposite of her sister. Her sister is all like, I don't like emotions. I just want story like I don't like it when there's relationships or anything like that. And no, my younger daughter is all about shipping and character relationships. And I'm like, you are going to like this one. Oh, just wait until she delves into the world of fan fiction related to Fishy. <laughs> <movie. laughs> 
Well, I don't know about that. I don't know that I want her to delve into the world of fan fiction. I like to think that my fanfic of Fushigi Yugi was relatively nice. Okay. All right. No, I know. I'm just saying like a lot of it turns into sort of porny kind of stuff. (laughs) I don't want her going there. But yes, no, I'm not talking about your stuff in particular, Juliet. I'm just saying fan fiction in general kind of has me worried. I don't want to just turn her loose on fanfiction.net or something. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of dangerous. I'd rather turn her loose on Archive of Our Own, which has more clear warnings every which way. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, I mean, I don't even know, because, like, I was never really part of the fanfiction scene. I just had a friend once who used to post a lot of stuff on fanfiction.net, and I've heard things. Oh, yeah. I still have an account there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, and otherwise, I mean, like, my back seems to, like, now be in a cr- chronic state of, like, now you're just going to be in pain for the rest of your life and you can do some physical therapy and take some stuff and you might feel better for a few weeks and then it's going to be a problem again. You're going to have to do it all over again. So that's not the best. That is awful. Yeah, but it's not permanent, which I guess is better than 12 years ago when I had to have surgery. So, I mean, at least in that sense, I can actually work through it and get better. It just seems like it keeps going bad again after I get it better. But yeah, so that's not the best. And kids are out of school. Yay. It lightens my load in that I don't have to take them to things. Okay. Or do stuff like that. So they're here, but they're pretty good. I mean, because they're 14 and 10. Oh, yeah. So it's not like I have to be like on top of them constantly. They can amuse themselves and do stuff. So, I mean, it's not like distracting from my work or anything. Oh, man. 10 years old is like the best time to be watching Fushigi Yugi. Not Saris. Wait a few no. years before you get into Saris. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, even with Fushigi Yugi, I'm a little worried we haven't gotten yet to the, you know, all. I'm not sure I want to even mention it on this podcast, but there's some things in Fushigi Yugi I'm a little like, I, I'm glad we're watching this together. I don't want to turn you loose on this one without a parent being present in the room with you. <laughs> no, it's true. It starts off very, oh my gosh, I want to strangle Miyaka and her ridiculous high-pitched voice. And then the next thing you know, it's covering some deep topics. Mm-hmm. So we haven't gotten there yet. So she's still in the phase of it's just lighthearted storytelling with some romance drama kind of stuff. It's not too dark yet. Oh, she's in for a surprise. (laughs) So uh, do you want to get started talking about this episode? Sure. That's probably uh, probably a good thing, considering this is time streams and not Fashigi Yugi and Juliet's marathon running. Right. Well, but I figured since we've had a gap and this is a very short episode, we can talk a little bit more about ourselves than we normally do. And it's not really that much of a problem. True. But yeah, this one is kind of a misnomer to call this a lost story. They never intended to make this. This was a script that the writer just sort of sent in to just show like, hey, this is a thing I can do, and here's my writing style, and I'm just taking the characters and doing something with them. And because of this, he was commissioned to do Farewell Great Massinon, which is the one that we're going to talk about next time. So okay. when Big Finish got his, you know, he, he gave both scripts to Big Finish, and they were like, well, we're already making the one. We might as well just make this other one, too. And the format's a little weird, too. For whatever reason, with the Lost Stories, instead of getting, like, a full cast together, they kind of do, like, a half narration, just a couple act, you know, just a few actors kind of thing, and they just do all the voices, so they're not really, like, making it as big a production as some of Big Finish's other stuff. 
So just for your information, most big fetish stuff isn't like that. They, they do like a full audio drama kind of thing. But yeah, so we start off with Barbara and a character named Rhythm. And we have a description about this planet, you know, and the colors for everything are very different than what we have. We talk about like emerald oceans and that the sun is blue and the trees are red and their water is like wine, which is the bit. <laughs> and the sun is sapphire. It's not just blue. It's yeah. sapphire. But yeah, I like the description that the water is like wine and I'm like, so do you swim in the wine? Because that sounds really gross. Like <laughs> bit. A little sticky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, so he's asking Barbara to stay. She's like, you know, why don't you stay with me? And she's basically like, look, this place is really nice, but I've got to leave. Yeah, we kind of got dropped into, it felt like we got dropped into the middle of things here. Mm -hmm. Don't know why we're here. Don't know what we were doing here. Don't know who this person is. Is his name really Rhythm? Yeah, all the names are like kind of musical because we have I Am, Rhyme, Melody, and Harmony. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I just wanted to make sure that I had been hearing it correctly. And I freely admit when I started listening to it, I I, I wasn't sure if I was ready for an audio book. I say this with air quotes with these characters mainly because I guess I just don't feel like I'm I know them maybe well enough for to enjoy an audiobook and then the way that the writing and the dialogue was it was like sometimes the dialogue would be half in description and then it would be actual dialogue to finish the sentence and it just jarred me every time I've got to say a lot of people complained about it when this came out because I will say for the format like as far as how it's done Farewell Great Mastodon is the same because it was a release where the discs were all part of it. They fixed a lot of that in the next one. The narration is very, there's less of it, first of all. And second of all, it's very much limited to this is definitely the narration and this is definitely the part where people are speaking. And I think they improved that quite a bit. But obviously that's not here. I'm just saying that that does actually get better. Okay, because like I love audiobooks. I, I really do enjoy having a single narrator read things to me. I also enjoy full cast dramatizations of stories and so on. But this was just weird. I agree. When I first heard these, I was like, this half and half thing doesn't work. So yeah, I think that's a problem. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you think about Carol Ann Ford? Because that's Susan doing a Barbara voice. And so how do you feel about that? I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought she did a pretty decent job, actually. She did a very good job for, like, all the female voices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually thought that, it's, I think it's funny, because I think now Carol Ann Ford does a better Barbara than she does a Susan. Yeah. Because when she's trying to do Susan, she has to pitch her voice up higher to do Susan, mm -hmm. and you can tell it's an older person trying to do a young voice and it doesn't work as well as when she's doing Barbara, she can just concentrate on doing Barbara's voice. And I think she sounds really good. She did. It was really close. It sounded very natural. Mm. I also like her narrating voice. I also like William Russell doing the narrative because they kind of share it. Mm -hmm. And I think they both have a good voice for narration also. Definitely. But yeah, so then we cut from them to two characters named I am and rhyme. And they're talking to the doctor and Ian and talking about how they're sad that they made friends and now they're leaving, but they'll always remember them. And they give this device to the doctor 
that's a device that the doctor says will help him be able to steer the TARDIS and get it back to Ian and Barbara's time. And then they ask, though, because he's, he's thanking them. They're like, oh, there's no need for thanks. We're friends. This is fine. And then they say, can we see the inside of the TARDIS? And Ian is shocked because the doctor's like, sure, come on in. Yeah, because <laughs> like, that's a bit out of character. Yes, I thought so, too. One of the things that I said about this, uh, even when it came out, was that they get three of the four characters right, and the Doctor doesn't feel right until the very end. And, and yeah, I was like, this whole thing of the Doctor showing him around the TARDIS, I'm like, in no universe does the Doctor go like, yes, I want to show you the TARDIS. Yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about William Russell doing the Doctor, and how is his Ian? His Doctor actually wasn't bad. Maybe a bit more jovial than I, I think of our mm. doctor. But no, I mean, sounded good. Yeah, I, I like his stuff as both Ian and the doctor. Like, I still hear enough of his voice from the show to get Ian. And I think that his doc- it's funny because there's another companion that comes later that also does audios as the first doctor. Because Ian's gone and it's this other person. And it's funny to me because they both do really great jobs of taking aspects of William Hartnell, but they're completely different. So it's like their doctors, their impressions are very different, but you can hear some William Hartnell in both of them. And William Russell's definitely going with the very clipped, like, yes, Chesterton, you know, kind of thing, like that part of the Hartnell Mm -hmm. voice. And I always like it because you can tell it was like, you know, because he worked for him with him for you you know a couple of years that it's like he observed him and he's just good at like oh yeah this is the way he would say things and and you know is is getting that out and so kind of like that because it's like you could feel the respect it's true in the performance i liked it and then we cut to susan who's on a bench with two characters named melody and harmony and they seem worried but uh, and Susan is sad because she's going to leave her friends like this. This feels the most like authentic to season one of all because Susan's always making friends and then having to leave them. Right. Right. And so, yeah, they describe to her this way that their planet works and they talk about how their lives are basically divided into two parts and they call it like two halves of an arc or two semicircles of the circle of their life. And like the one half is the purple the thin purple arc and the other one is the fragile yellow arc and basically you're a child basically in the purple arc and then when you're ready to fall in love that's when you enter the yellow arc and that's what they consider maturity and that they say like once you hit that stage you're supposed to build a bridge with another person's yellow arc and then you like live your life course together and it's sort of this poetic way of talking about it but it's basically like you reach maturity you find somebody to be in love with and then you go off together and susan is kind of upset about this sort of this notion that they have to fall in love and they can only love one time Melody and Harmony are like, we're worried because Rhythm is our brother and we're pretty sure he's in love with Barbara and Barbara needs to stay here because once you lose your love, you die. You have to like basically commit suicide. Yeah. Okay. There is so much to unpack with this. (laughs) And I like I'd already thought that it was weird being dropped into the middle of a story I didn't know Mm -hmm. anything about. And then we get into this part and I'm like, so. We're, we're pushing really hard right now 
for monogamy and marriage and basically you have to get married or, or you're just a child forever or you just die what happens if you don't find somebody to fall in love with to build your heart bridge with and what happens if you find someone but they don't love you back so which i'm assuming it you know at this point in the story is the case with barbara because i can't see barbara mm. like falling in love with this person if she's going to fall in love with anybody it was going to be back you know on the home world of the daleks or something you know mm. there's plenty of cool people for barbara to fall in love with besides ian and this dude named rhythm but i'm sorry you set sail on a boat burning boat into the sun is how you commit suicide what happens if you just decide you don't want to do that? I assumed it was like a biological imperative that these are like animals that mate for life. But I mean, obviously they're not animals, but I mean, like there are certain animals that mate for life and these are just intelligent beings with the same biological drive that it's like you mate for life and then without your mate, you die. I felt like this was like really coming at me for like not being married. Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Wow, I don't appreciate this story at all. <laughs> See, I saw it as being a lot like a lot of 60s sci-fi where it's like they take one idea and just stretch it like as far as it can go. And so this sort of idea of you mate for life and what does that mean if somebody comes in that doesn't have that same imperative and how would that disrupt their system and, and everything is he thinking that you know even if you're among these people like you're a per you're one of these people and you fall in love with another one of these people but that person isn't in love with you so you have built your heart bridge to them but they haven't built it back to you and because of that now you have to go commit suicide and it's basically their fault that's crap <laughs> it's a whole bunch of crap <laughs> Well, they do say that that, I mean, that not at this point, but they do say later that on their planet, like no one doesn't mutually follow, like it's always mutual. And they're, they're weirded out by the idea that Barbara cannot love him back if he loves her. Yeah. But then, you know, it's always, it's, it's her fault, you know, if she doesn't love him back. So I just, I just, it bothers me a lot. This whole story bothered me a lot. Okay. So we cut back to the doctor showing off the TARDIS again and I am and Rhyme want to see things more closely and he's like it's fine and Ian's like doctor are we sure we should be doing this and he's like oh it's fine like their planet doesn't have the right materials like even if they knew how to build the TARDIS they couldn't do it and he's like it's still not a great idea no because it only takes obviously one small thing to sabotage a TARDIS mm-hmm I mean, because, yeah, I mean, that's the other way of looking at it is they don't have to build their own. They also, if they learn too much, they could mess with us. Mm -hmm. And then they talk about the device that the doctor's got. And he's basically saying before they got this, it was basically like the TARDIS would just traveling randomly. But with this, he should be able to get it to go where he wants it to go. But he's not sure 100% because it's a little bit different than what's compatible with the ship. And Ian says, well, I hope we don't end up as a corpse flying around in space. And then Rhyme and I am get really upset about that. Cause like, no, that's how we die. Like we end up flying around in space dead. So don't joke about that. And they ask the doctor if there's risk involved with attaching this thing. And he says, yeah, a little bit, but I'm pretty sure I can make it work. And they're like, well, if there's any risk, you just shouldn't do it. You should just stay. I just don't have words. I don't. Yeah, this whole bit with them in the TARDIS just seems really strange because Ian shouldn't be the one having to tell the doctor, don't show this to them. I felt like this was like a short version 
Doctor Who version of like Splinter of the Mind or the Crystal Star from the Star Wars novels written by somebody who maybe didn't watch some Doctor Who is what it felt like. (laughs) Well, to be fair, all that had been out by this point was they were going through Marco Polo at the time. So Morris Fari, the author, even if he was watching from the beginning, there were just three full serials and Marco Polo was in process. There wasn't a whole lot to go on. But yeah, he should have already known the Doctor wouldn't show the TARDIS. Though. That, that one thing, I'm like, that's pretty well established that he doesn't want anyone on his ship other than him and Susan. So that's why I, I'm very critical of that over most other things. But yeah, then we go back to Barbara and Rhythm. And it's very much, uh, this stuff gets a little tired because it's just him basically saying like please please why won't you stay please Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she's like no i get that your world is great it's lovely and everything but i just miss my home and even though i realize it's not perfect i love everything about it whether it's the beautiful stuff or the ugly stuff or whatever i'm just missing it and so he asks if she'll ever return because he's like, look, if you just tell me that you'll come back, I'll, I'll wait for you. And she's like, no, that's not like, no, like I could return maybe, but don't wait for me. You know, like, go make your own life. And he's like, no, look, really, I can only fall in love once. And you got to tell me if you're coming back. And she's like, no, I don't believe that. Go love somebody else. It's fine. It's okay. And so he says, okay, since you're sure, thank you for giving me certainty. And then he kisses her and he leaves. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have read better fan fiction. (laughs) Well, see, I mean, it's different for us because we're capable of loving more than one person and everything. I just, I don't know. No, I I was talking about the writing. Yeah. Writing is bad. I mean, maybe the person who wrote this is only ever capable of loving one person and they... (laughs) decided to have unrequited love, but obviously they didn't go put themselves into the sun. They would add Doctor Who story instead. (laughs) So yeah, Rhyme and I am leave the TARDIS and the Doctor and Ian say goodbye. And then the Doctor just kind of notices or mentions to Ian, like, have you ever noticed that there's no unattached adults on this planet? And Ian's like, "Uh, no, I didn't notice, but hey, good for them. (laughs) And the Doctor's like, yeah, everybody over the age of 30 is married. And again, I'm like, thanks, guys. (laughs) Oh, what's weird to me about this, though, is that whole thing about having I am and Rhyme and the TARDIS went nowhere. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking there was going to be some part of this where it's like they did something or they stole something or whatever. And it's just like, no, that's just there to have Ian and the Doctor talk, I guess. I mean, it's just just Yeah, I was fully expecting sabotage of some sort to happen. I mean, I guess it's only there because as we'll get to, there's sort of a threat that maybe they can do something towards the end. But I mean, it doesn't really feel like it really needed to be the way that it was written. Can our listeners hear me roll my eyes? (laughs) I don't know. If you do it loud enough, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, then Rhythm passes I Am and Rhyme on the way. And then you find out that they're his parents. And he's like, I'm going to make my journey because he's got like a little boat strapped to his back. They call it a coracle. So the parents say, oh, we'll make sure Barbara stays. Like, don't go. There's no way we're going to let this happen to you. We're going to force Barbara to stay. And even he's like, no, that's not right. She is in love with her own planet, her own world. Let her go back. 
I'm going to go and I'm going to go today. So it doesn't even matter if you do anything because I'll be gone. But they're still kind of like, oh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll make her stay. So does it not work the same if one of these people falls in love with an off-worlder? Because it's supposed to be mutual on their planet. So why does he have to go commit suicide? Or is he just seriously that rejected? I guess they've never had this come up before. I don't know if this is their first encounter with off-worlders or what, but I don't know. And how does he know he now has to go commit suicide? They never even try to explain, like, is this this absolutely bio, like burning biological imperative, like a lemming leaping off a cliff? That's how I imagined it, but uh, you're right. They don't actually describe it and exactly what's happening. I mean, but it doesn't seem like a societal thing where it's being imposed because even his parents are like, we don't want this to happen. And it's just something he's like, I have to do this now. There's no stopping it. And he had his little boat handy right then and there. Do they carry this around with them when they're single? Because he must have had it while talking to Barbara because he, when she's like, sorry, I, I love my planet. I got I really want to go back. He's like, but cool, bye. I'm going to go boat myself into the sun right now. It was like he was just waiting for this. I don't know. Maybe they've got a boat shop that he just bought one from. I don't know. <laughs> it, just, it was really handy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm imagining, like, if you ever go to the water park and they've got those inner tubes and they'll have them piled up next to the ride and you just grab one and you just take it, that's it. Just near the ocean, there's just a bunch of those boats just piled yeah, up. He, you just grab one. He wasn't one. there. He was passing his parents. Yeah. I don't know. There I are know. many plot holes. For a 30-minute story, there are a ton of plot holes. <laughs> so, yeah, Ian and the doctor connect the time-space coordinator is what they're calling the thing that they got with some sort of filament in it, tungsten, something. Thorium? Yeah, that sounds better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some element on the periodic table that it's made out of. And Barbara comes back and Ian asks her why she looks so sad. After he asks a few times, because first she doesn't want to talk about it, she says that Rhythm's in love with her. And Ian, of course, is like, are you in love with him? And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, okay, that's fine. He'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> that interaction seemed right. <laughs> yes, that, that sounded about right for Ian. <laughs> but then, yeah, Susan comes back with Melody and Harmony, and Susan's like, I've got to find Barbara. She's got to stay. And she runs into the TARDIS looking for Barbara. Then we're back with Ian telling Melody and Harmony, look, Barbara doesn't love rhythm. He's just going to have to deal with it. And they and he explains to them, we fall in love multiple times on our world. So I'm sure rhythm will find somebody else and it'll be okay. And he's like, Barbara doesn't love him. And they're like, what? Is it possible for love to be one sided? And they're really confused by that. But as they're having that conversation, Rhyme and I am run back up and they're like, grab him because we got to force them to stay. And then while the kids are confused, Ian basically dashes back into the TARDIS. And so then they're like banging on the doors and trying to get in. But the doctors shut them out. Yeah. And this is another thing. Like, even if they had been able to kidnap Barbara against her will and force her to stay there. That still doesn't make her love him. They're like, well, she can grow. She might grow to love him. But if he's so determined that he feeling the imp biological imperative need to go commit suicide now, 30 seconds after Barbara said that she doesn't love him. Why did they why does anybody even think that that can change? You know, that he's going to be able to put off this need to go launch himself into the sun for years. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make sense. What are they going to do? Lock them both up until it happens? Yeah. 
because even one of the kids is like, look, it won't help because she doesn't love him back. It's not like she's being taken away and we're rescuing her and keeping her here with, with rhythm. Like she doesn't love him back. So even if she's physically stuck here, it's not going to change anything. And I get that part, at least parents to save their child would do ridiculous, dumb thing, right? You get like, it's not a rational consideration. It's like, we're trying to save our child and we'll grasp at any straw to save our child. So I I get that part of it. But yeah, I mean, rationally, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, so Ian is like, all right, we got to leave. They want to keep Barbara here. And Susan explains to Barbara, no, really, they can only love one time. And then he's going to kill himself because of it. And when Barbara's watching them on the scanner, she's like, all right, I guess I'll stay. Because she's like, I don't want somebody to die. I mean, this is messed up. And the doctor, of course, this is the part I really liked with the doctor. Because I'm like, yeah, we're going back to that very early version of the doctor on this. And she's like, open the doors, I'm going to leave. And he's like, sure thing. And then he flips the dematerialization switch instead. And it's like, we're off. Yeah. I was like, no, that feels very appropriate. That's exactly what the doctor would do. (laughs) That is exactly what he would do. But then they talk about like, as they're leaving, like Barbara's watching and is able to focus in on the scanner and she watches rhythm go off on his boat. And it starts like hovering above the ocean. And she can almost swear that he turns to look at her and mouths three words, which of course are, I love you. And then his boat bursts into flames and hurls like a comet for the heart of the sun. <laughs> so I, I didn't listen to the second half of the file, which is apparently like comments and stuff about the story. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I should have warned you about that because some of that will also be about Farewell Great Mastodon. So okay, I'm glad you, I, didn't, I, you didn't listen to it. Yeah, I didn't listen because I didn't want it to cloud my, my talking to you about it. Mm. This really felt like some story written by somebody who got rejected on Valentine's Day or something and um, or had their proposal rejected. I just it was the writing wasn't good. I didn't like it. I didn't like the story. I felt like I didn't feel like this was Doctor Who at all. Mm -hmm. And it made me a little sad. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is just because how early we are in the uh, in Doctor Who that there isn't a definition of what Doctor Who is. So I totally get that because like I even refer to this as alternative Who because this doesn't feel like Doctor Who and I completely agree with that. But I thought that it was interesting that they posed an unfixable problem. How do you deal with something that literally you cannot fix? And so I thought that that was kind of neat and sort of like an intellectual kind of way and basically doing it in a way you would never do now with the doctor as he's become, even with what we've seen at the end of season one, but with that very early version of the doctor, which is basically like, I don't care, we're leaving and you guys just deal with this mess we've made. And I thought that was very interesting. But yeah, I agree. I mean, the doctor is out of character and the message is... I've read a lot of 60s sci-fi and I get what he was going for, which was taking a concept, just taking it to the absurd. But I get how it can be viewed in a very negative way also. So I get where you're coming from on that. They laid all that guilt on Barbara. Like, this is your fault. Right. And that's not cool. I'm sorry. This dude decided that he was going to fall in love with Barbara. We don't even know how long they'd been there. The doctor doesn't hang out in places very long. Mm -hmm. So we don't know how long they've been there. We don't know how many conversations that Barbara and this dude have even had. And it just, 
I felt like that was doing a disservice to Barbara's character. And I even felt like it was a bad thing for Susan. I can't, well, Susan's, you know, young and impulsive and everything. After everything with like the Marco Polo arc and everything, I would not think that Susan would be the one pushing for her friend to basically give up her own bodily autonomy, basically, mm. to stay on a planet to try to keep somebody alive who may not still stay alive. I felt like that was really not even in character for Susan after everything she'd done, trying to get, you know, her friend out of an arranged marriage. Yeah. I mean, I understand that, too. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know exactly where it was in the process of what was airing at the time when this was written. I know that Farewell Great Macedon, he has some notes in the CD case that came and he talks about Keys of Marinus was airing while he was writing, but he must have sent this in before that. And so that's why I'm saying it was probably around Marco Polo time. But I don't even know there exactly when this would have been sent in. So yeah, I get what you're talking about, though, because Susan, she already had a big thing where she was like, no, arranged marriages, no. <laughs> you know, People should be free to choose what they want. Unless you're Barbara on a weird planet full of strange colors. And I did like that the nasty doctor was back. Yes. Because I thought that that was cool. Like, like we don't get, we didn't get enough of the nasty doctor, really. <laughs> I mean, he even, he's, I didn't even know if it was necessarily nasty as much as the doctor. He wasn't going to let anybody tell them what to do. He's mm -hmm. maybe still not, I don't think he did it. I'm not even sure he did it out of nastiness necessarily. I don't know if he did it to protect Barbara or just to get protect the TARDIS. I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns in this episode. Yeah, that's true. So what are your final thoughts of the production as a whole? So not just the story, but just the whole experience of listening to it. The narration, the voices were, the voice actors, they were very good. I hated the way that the story was written to where it was half narration and then suddenly it'd be busted out in a dialogue. That was very jarring, as I'd said before. And I think I'll probably continue to say that. Probably the only good thing about it was the fact that we had the actors doing a really good job of, you know, reading and dialogue and everything. That's the only thing. I just wish they'd been given better material to work with. And that's a criticism that's actually leveled on the lost stories from time to time. I don't think it's completely deserved with all of them, but people say like, well, there's a reason why they didn't get made. And I'm like, yeah, but the reason isn't always that it was a bad story, right? I mean, there are other practical reasons why I think, you know, too expensive or it's too similar to something else that they were going to do at the time or things like that. So I'm not sure if the people who level that charge on the lost stories have actually listened to them all. Or are just saying, ha ha ha, there's a reason they didn't get made. This isn't very good stuff. But yeah, I'll also say that John Dorney, who did Rhythm in this, he's really good in Farewell Great Macedon. You'll hear that next time. I found his somewhat effeminate voice in this to be kind of like, eh. But he's still a good voice actor. And he's actually funny enough. He's also a writer for Big Finish. And I think story-wise, he writes some of the best stuff that they have but he started off as an actor for them and then he started saying like well you know i write too and that's how that progressed but yeah definitely love hearing caroline ford and william russell performing and it always brings a smile to my face knowing that these are the same people and you can sort of feel their respect for jacqueline hill and william hartnell when they're doing those roles too and so i really like that it's it was soothing to hear them yeah william russell especially i think he's a fantastic narrator 
I've made the, like, I could listen to him read the phone book thing before, which maybe not literally, but it's like that. He's a really great reader, and I really like hearing his voice, and, and like you say, it's very soothing to hear. Yeah, I think I look at this story slightly more positively than you do, and it's one of those things, if I see it as early 60s sci-fi, I see it as a weird Twilight zone interpretation of Doctor Who. Of just like, wouldn't it be weird if this was a world where people mutually fell in love and now there's a one-sided love and what happens because of that? So I kind of thought that was interesting on that standpoint. But you're right, the characters are out of character and I can totally see how that could come off very negative. I mean, not just that, it's it sends a bad message about, you know, oh crap, you know, your love is unrequited. Go kill yourself, it's okay. I feel like that's... <laughs> kind because that's what you just basically you know described as what if there was a world where you know everybody had to fall in love with somebody else and what happens if there is a one-sided love and the story's answer to that is kill yourself and i think that that's a very very bad message to especially for doctor who to be sending i don't for anything to be sending <laughs> there's an episode i already know there's one in this that the, there's a lost story with the second doctor that you are going to absolutely hate Oh, goody. <laughs> it's fine, because I actually hate that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, I mean, yeah, I thought you were going to actually go the other way with this being a bad message that you were going to say that it was basically telling people, if somebody tells you that you love the, that they love you, you better show it back to them, you know, or, or no, you're somehow like a bad person. Oh, no, totally right along with that, because that's the other part of this. Let yourself be bullied into being in a bad relationship or a relationship that you're not part of because the other person might kill themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I probably went a lot deeper into this one than this story was ever meant to be taken. I think you are. I think that the writer, if you confronted him with this, was probably going to be like, oh, crap, I like didn't think that anyone was going to think that about this and that wasn't my intention. But hearing you say it, I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I, I see it. I didn't have to think that deeply about it. That's what just flew in my face when listening to it. My, I'm typing my notes. I'm going, this is scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So what's your rating out of 10? It's a one. It's a big fat one. I didn't like it. Wow. A one. Oh my God. Okay. Look, if I'm going to be generous and, and accept that we had some lovely voice actors uh. in there, I'll give it a two. That's about it. And, and the doctor's little flip the switch at the end is included in that. But I just didn't like it at all. Like I said, the, I didn't like the writing style. I didn't like the story itself. I had serious issues with the message that it was sending, even if it was unintentional, though it was very blatantly unintentional. It was, oh, smacked me in the face with it, you know? And that doesn't even include the fact that it's talking about everybody who's over the age of 30 is married and I'm feeling, yeah. That does, that's not even wrapped up in my rating, but I'll give it a, I'll, I'll raise it to a two for the actors. Okay. That's it. They are the only redeeming quality in this. Wow. All right. There's nowhere, there's almost nowhere to go down from that. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. It just, it, it just wasn't good. Oh man. I feel awkward now. Oh my gosh. Your rating's like a seven, isn't it? No. Well, six. I'm, I'm giving it a six. <laughs> I definitely think it has problems. But see, the characterization, I'm giving it a pass on just because of how early it was, other than the doctor letting them into the TARDIS, because that's really well established, like from the very beginning. 
but you are familiar with classic who and you're you know what you, you're like well you know what i it's okay it's still early for me i'm watching it now and i'm i'm or listening to this in my sequence of stuff and i'm like i, I no i'm not going to forgive it for that because mm -mm. i get it i mean i'm not saying there's anything wrong with your rate i <laughs> I, I was just surprised it was so low because like there are <laughs> It's going to be interesting later, but there's one I think for sure is worse than this. <laughs> I mean, if I go into negative numbers, I'll let you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, and I just thought it was kind of like an interesting idea as far as like an alien world. And like I say, I didn't take it to mean anything about our world. I just thought that it was like, oh, what if there's a group of people that have this biological thing and the, and the TARDIS crew do what they do. They go in and they mess around with something. They don't have any idea of what it is or whatever. And they're just there and they like unintentionally make all these screw ups. And then it's like, oh, well, and then they leave. And I just thought that that was kind of like an interesting thing. And not for something that I would want to be canonical Doctor Who, because again, this is a lost story. This is not canonical Doctor Who. I just thought it was kind of like an interesting concept to play with. The problem is, is we don't know. Did How long have they been there? Did they really screw this up? Or did this dude just suddenly like latch onto Barbara? Like, you know, there are some creepy people that do that. Yeah. We don't know and they don't tell us. And so I can only go with what I've been given. It's fair because, yeah, I mean, like I'm making assumptions based on just like I say, like I'm used to sci-fi tropes and things. And, and But you're right. They didn't say it. So uh, that's an assumption I'm making that isn't necessarily true. I mean, I'm not putting it into level of Fushigi Yugi OVA3 that never needed to exist. <laughs> um, I'm sure I might find something to that point. Nice way to bring it back. Thank Along you. the fragile full yellow circle. arc back to Fushigi. <laughs> so we've gone full circle. <laughs> and and honestly, I'm always going to give something more points for having a downbeat ending because that happens like so rarely. Whenever that happens, that's interesting to me. Like, like it's not like happy ending. We found a way around it. We found a way to fix it. It's just kind of like, no, dude died. Well, I mean, I gave the Aztecs for a much, a, a really great rating uh for its down ending where, yes yeah i mean i thought that was fantastic i just felt like this gave us a down ending with a bad message no i i definitely get that all right well no it's going to be interesting to see what you think about farewell great it's the same author for farewell great macedon but there's a lot more behind it because this is something he was writing that he intended to actually go on television and he actually had a purpose on it because his thing, because he's of mixed Turkish and British descent, was that he wanted to write a story about the unification of, like, you know, because Alexander the Great's thing, you look at him as a historical figure. And one of the things that he said and one of the things that he tried to do is, yeah, he was this conqueror. He conquered things. But he really wanted to create like a fusion empire combining the cultures of the world so that it was like one culture. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why his own people started hating him is because they didn't like, like he, they thought he was like polluting their Macedonian heritage with this stuff from Persia and India and these other places that they went to. But that's one of the themes he wanted to build on. So it's definitely a different theme okay. <laughs> you know, for the story. So I, I hope that you, I hope that you enjoy it a little bit more because I too oh man <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't think I've gone below what a five I don't think so I don't think you've even done a 
five. Maybe you've done a five. I don't know. I don't, I don't, know. I don't think I'd you've even gone that low. I don't even know. I think maybe a six might be my. I, I think you've generally been very positive about you know the actual televised stories. Look, I go into them. Even I think Marco Polo might have been my lowest score. Mm. But I go into them, you know, op- very open minded, aware of the time period that they were written in. And still pretty much enjoying them, even if I don't really like the story as much. And I tried to do that with this one, but right off the bat, I was just thrown off and I was never able to get back into it properly. Yeah. Okay. For my book a series that I'm going to recommend, because this time it's a series because it's six, it's six volumes, is the About Time series by Tatwood and Lawrence Miles. And what About Time does is it looks at Doctor Who and they do the normal things of, okay, what does each story introduce? They list things like, this is the first time this happens, that kind of thing. They'll do a critique like a lot of these kinds of books do. But then one of the things that they do is kind of, that's kind of interesting is that they'll look into, okay, what are the things that might have inspired this story? Like, what were the things that existed in media? either in what was going on like in news at the time or what were popular in, in novels or radio dramas or whatever that the ideas from this could have come from. And they sort of go into that sort of analysis of each story. And so that's kind of neat. And then they also do several articles interspersed throughout each volume that take concepts that aren't for any one particular story, but just, hey, we're going to take a question like, can history be changed? And here's the evidence from the different stories that sort of indicate either A, it can't be changed, or B, it can be changed. And what are the circumstances that it can be changed? You know, just stuff like that. They try to explain things within the Doctor Who universe and how it works and stuff like that. And so it's a pretty cool series if you're interested in really diving deep into the series and looking at all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm going to have to wait until we finish through Doctor Who, which is going to take ages. I know that before I go back and pick up these novels and these book series, I don't want to get spoiled on anything by accident. And I feel like I would appreciate them much more with all of this behind me. I agree. I'm just giving this out there for people who might be listening to the podcast. too. I'm just sitting here going, these sound great. I can't read it yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. But yeah, at least, you know, there's there's so much more to come. (laughs) All right, so yeah, like I mentioned, next time is Farewell Great Macedon, which is available from Big Finish. It's also available, I think, I think, uh, it might not be in print anymore, but the actual script was for sale at one point where there was a company that was putting out several Doctor Who scripts, and so they had some of the actual televised stories where if people wanted to see what the original script, because, you know, the stories always deviate a little bit from the script because when they're on the actual stage, they improvise or they do whatever. And some people like that, but then they also sold, this was the only one that they sold that wasn't an actual script that ever got made, but they did have this one too. So that's available. Also, if it's not in print anymore, you can probably find it on eBay or something. Well, I mean, I love like reading screenplays and stuff. Uh, Having taken screenplay writing classes, I, appreciate um, a well-written screenplay so yeah i mean it's out there if you're uh, interested in checking that out too but yeah so this has been, <laughs> this has been an interesting <laughs> episode of time streams kind of unusual one because it's a one-parter lost story but i had a good time talking with you juliet same here even thank you for listening to me complain about this episode. <laughs> no problem all right but yeah uh, i'm nathan and i'm juliet and we'll catch you next time 
You've been listening to Time Streams, a subsidiary of the 42Cast podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, email us at everything at 42cast.com. Beginning music is Vortex, followed by Pulse Rock, both by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Ending music is Voltaic, also by Kevin McLeod and licensed by a Creative Commons Attribution License. Direction Point! Direction Point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.